Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Jason Alder from AB Motorsports, and you're listening to the Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Welcome to the July 5th edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hard-to-work program on the Internet. This is episode 143 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, we celebrate the start of our fifth year on the air. Yes, who knew that four years ago we'd begin our amazing journey into the world of modern motorsports? interview more than 175 racing icons, and share the automotive world with our fans? You did, of course. We appreciate the support and look forward to many more hours to come. Tonight, we welcome a man whose own motorsports journey best represents the spirit of this program. Tim Pacman began his motorsports adventure at Lancaster Speedway cooking in the concession stand. Twelve years later, he went back as the announcer, and that began his broadcasting career. Pacman's NASCAR career started in 1997, working on pit road, taking notes for pit reporter Ralph Sheehan as a reporter in Daytona for CBS Sports. In 2000, he was hired as a writer for NASCAR.com, where he won a few awards. Pacman was the first website editor for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated from 2003 until 2007, and was honored to take part in a couple championships and Daytona 500 victories during that time. Then, his career turned back to broadcasting where he became news director, pit reporter, and show host for MRN Radio. From there, Pac-Man did a bunch of freelance work before landing at Richard Childress Racing as director of corporate communications. In 2015, he went back to Lancaster National Speedway and Dragway as track president, where he helped turn that place around in many ways, earning short track promoter of the year in 2016 and 2017. Pac-Man has authored two books, the first with Bobby Allison as well as a children's book. Tonight, we'll be asking him about NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, and children's books, as well as seeing whatever other motorsports information pops into the conversation. We are now proud to welcome Tim Pacman into the Thunderdome. How are you doing this evening? Hey, how are you? Pretty well, thank you. First off, can you tell us a little bit more about your average week at Lancaster? Ah. Uh. <laughs> It starts uh, as soon as the uh, last event ends. Um, Mondays are usually like uh, ordering all the food and the pop and beer for the upcoming week and then um, getting ready for uh, Tuesday night. We have test and tune. Wednesday night we have uh, grudge racing, which is just like street racing. Uh, We're dark on Thursday. On Friday night we have IHR drag racing. And then on Saturday night we have our uh, express sign stock car series with at least four divisions each night. We have three core divisions for the track, which are sportsmen, three stocks, and four cylinders. With still tracks such as the one you work at closing at an alarming rate now, it seems, how do you keep people interested in the sport? It's all about communication. You've got to let them know what's going on, when it's going on, uh, building up uh, interest and hype into what you're doing, and having the uh, drivers and the partners and the fans um, behind you all the way in what you're doing all the time, because if uh, if they believe in what you're doing, then that carries over to the other people. And uh, we've been very fortunate that the ownership group has uh, put in uh, more than a half a million dollars in capital X improvements in the last four years. And when the fans and the drivers see that type of commitment, 
it's easy for them to um, say, I want to be committed as well. When you're not at the track, how do you spend your free time? Uh, getting ready for the next race. Um, I enjoy, well, I used to have a boat. I enjoy, you know, being anytime, anything around the water, near the water. I enjoy doing that. Uh, spending time with my fiance uh, and uh, our grandkids and her daughter, our daughter, and um, just kind of things like that, you know, normal life things. But other than that, it's pretty much all about the track. I know you worked for uh, Dan Learnhardt Incorporated for a little while and a few other different drivers, such as uh, Bobby Allison and that, but who's your favorite racer of all time? Bobby Allison, hands down. Not only because of what he did on the track, but the person he is. And it started out with uh, me writing a book with him, and it turned into um, a friendship now that's gone, what is it, 12, 15 years? And uh, he's kind of been a sounding board for me, advice giver, and I've helped him with personal appearances, and uh, it's become a, a good friendship more than just, you know, driver versus fan or author type thing. So Bobby Allison, hands down. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences as a writer and why you wrote a children's book? Um, the writing kind of started at Lancaster Speedway when they said, can you write for the program? I said, sure. So uh, I took my uh, education at Buffalo State College in Broadcast Journalism, and I started writing more and more things, and I, I kind of really enjoy that. And then uh, when I got hired at NASCAR.com, it really went from there, and I really honed my skills in, like, I, like you said in the intro, won a bunch of a uh, few awards there. Um, and from that, it you know went from there. But I've always, always enjoyed writing, whether it's a press release or a story for a website or something like that. I love communicating via written words. It's like a, it's like a theater of the mind and describing what's going on getting people interested. Cool. Well, let me throw out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. There's a couple of questions for you as well. So, after a short track closes, do you think that there's ever any bringing it back? Um, if it does, it's going to take a monetary infusion from a committed person, and it's going to take him making sure all the drivers know that he's going to be there for a long haul, not a short haul. And without the racers, you have nothing. Without the racers, you have a paved circle or a dirt circle in the middle of the field. And without them, you're not going to do it. So you have to get them to buy in. And once they buy in, then the fans buy in. But it, it can be brought back. It just has to be done um, carefully and with a lot of planning. And how does it feel to look back and just, you know, just see that you went from concessions, which is actually pretty cool, to the success that you are now? Um, I have my moments where I'll look over at the old concession stand, which we now use as storage, and I'll remember those days where, you know, I started out doing what I was doing, and now being the president of the track, I, I take it very serious. I take it to heart, and I consider it an honor because when I was an announcer there, there's still guys racing there just knew me as that, and when I became the president of the track, I had to win over their respect and let them know that I was serious about what I was doing, but uh, it, it's kind of cool to go back, and people always say, that's a really great story, and I go, yeah, I guess it is, from, you know, popcorn to the presidency. Maybe that'll be a book someday. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit more about the activities in your children's book? Um, so the children's book is called Funny Dan the Race Car Man. Um, every character in it is someone I have known in 
my short track career in Buffalo or people I had, my family members or uh, friends from high school or people that uh, I've known in racing. So everyone's, everyone's a real person in there. Um, I just kind of might have changed the name or gave them a nickname to the whole thing. But um, it started out as a hardcover book and then there's a coloring book and there's a soft cover book. Uh, I guess there's still some available on Amazon. I'm not really sure, but um, it was fun to do. And it was just some, I took some stories in my life and my racing life and I kind of adapted to the book and uh, it was kind of a fun deal. I enjoy it. Enjoyed it. And it's nice to see some a thought come to paper, you know, be printed and, you know, people buy it. And my final question, being so heavily involved in racing, have you done any racing yourself? I I foolishly tried enduro racing on asphalt and dirt back in the day, way, way back in the day, the late 90s. <laughs> and I only did it because I wanted to have a feel of what I was talking about and I could better relate to the um, the re- the listeners and the readers and the viewers, whatever I did, so I could kind of say, yeah, I kind of know what they're talking about, but it was um, it was enough to get a taste of it. But then I realized I I quickly realized I need to be back up in the announcer's booth, and I don't need I have no business racing a car. I know you mentioned that you had you had worked with Ralph Shaheen in the past. Are you ever going to do any any sort of TV broadcast work? Um, I wouldn't turn it down. I, I still, you know, uh, you know, once you start doing that, I've done some stuff for CTV. I've done some other TV work, um, just like on a freelance basis. But you never know. And now I'm a little older, a little smarter. Uh, I know a little bit more. My hair is still gray, but who cares? I still have hair. Um, I just, um, you know, you always have that burning desire because you think you have a lot to tell people and you can give a really good view. So if the opportunity came up, I would uh, definitely seriously consider it. And can you tell us a little bit about how the uh, how the average day, the average race day goes at the track? What's the, what are the sure. different classes? What are the, what are the ways that they they compete right. on the track? So on Friday we have drag racing. So my day starts usually, you know, I wake up and, you know, I I, I feel like a little kid at Christmas time. So I, I on race day I get, you know, okay, let's make sure all the Facebook updates are there and it's there, and then um, I go get in a probably because it's so late, I get in probably eleven o'clock, eleven in the morning. And then all the phone calls come in. You start answering the questions, even though you advertise the heck out of things. People still want to know what time, how much, and what's going on. So you go through the night. You open the back gate. You open the front gate. And then once the racing starts, I turn over to the race directors, and then I focus on the operation of concessions and fan uh, courtesy and all the other things we have going on. And then on Saturday, same thing. You get in the morning, uh, update everything, websites, a Facebook page, people know what's going on. And then uh, we open the gates at 3 o'clock. Uh, racing starts at 6.30, but once the uh, race director gets there and the officials, I let them handle the on-track portion of it, and I just take care of the operations of the track on the uh, concession of the business side. And then you get done sometimes, you know, midnight, sometimes 1 o'clock in the morning. But, yeah, it's um, I sleep in October and in November, I tell people. <laughs> and I know that uh, a lot of the... The NASCAR stars now are saying that there should be more connection to the the local tracks. Which one of the which star of the Lancaster Speedway do you think has the possibility of becoming the next big thing in racing? Um, there's a guy named Patrick Emmerling who uh, has won some of the uh, Race of Champion Modified Series races, and he has dabbled in the Truck Series a little bit. And Stuart Friesen right now, who's in the Truck Series full time. His family used to own Lancaster, 
and his uncle is the one who gave me my start working at the track as an announcer. So Stewart, Stewart's the one I'm going to say right now that would be um, has the best bet to keep going forward. If I was to pick one guy at our track right now that races on a regular basis, um, I would have to say Patrick Emerling. Chuck Hotfeld is one of our modified uh, champions. He raced at the track beers. He raced for uh, Roush Racing for a while in the truck series as well. So other guys that have raced there have been uh, Fred Bodine, Todd Bodine, um, two names just to invite some other from the area. Uh, Jeff, um, Jeff Bodine raced there. Uh, Richie uh, Evans raced there. So a few guys, you know, through the ranks have uh, have in the past made their way through the NASCAR ranks in the modified series, uh, moved up to the bigger series. Awesome. And if uh, my listeners were interested in more information about Lancaster, where would they go? Uh, LancasterNationalSpeedway.com, and we have uh, three Facebook pages. We have our Lancaster National Speedway and Dragway one. We have our Lancaster Stock Car one. We have our Lancaster Drag Drag Racers Forum one. So we split them up because, you know, drag racers and stock car racers don't always get along, so we have to cater to each side of the each side of the track. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the best information you're going to find right there. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show this evening, and we wish you lots of luck at the track, and hopefully it's a, it's a really good year there, and you can get some sleep in a couple of months. Yeah, we'll see. I'll try but thank you for having me on. I appreciate your time and letting me uh, speak uh, about our track here. Much. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Once again, that was Tim Pacman, the president of Lancaster Speedway. And, uh, we didn't realize that there was that connection to, to Stuart Friesen. We knew that there wasn't. luck and as you stated there's a lot of ways to look up information about the track so the Tiller National Speedway zooms back to life for the Firecracker 250 as well as the Coke Zero Sugar 400 as some of you might know the Dixie 250 it's had a bunch of different names in its history Sorry, race, and the uh, the other race, the Coke Zero Sugar 400, which is just Coke Zero 400. Before that, it's kind of interesting that it was originally a Fourth of July event. Um, I'm not sure how certain days. I think this year it might have actually been a little bit better to have that on Wednesday, especially considering they've had some issues at the track getting getting uh, people to fill in the seats during the summer, especially. Um, they did talk a little bit about that during the ISC meeting in Daytona today. Uh, they had a stockholder where they were discussing the fact that their their ticket sales overall in the past year have gone down 10% of their tracks. Now, I think that that might be, might be a little bit low, but it all averages out over all the tracks in the International Speedway Corporation. So, the best thing is to support your local track, but also support the national events because they're they're the top of the line right now. Um, sometimes the races in Daytona aren't the best, but oftentimes they're they're pretty cool. And I think the night race in Daytona, as long as it does get off at a reasonable time, is a pretty awesome way to go racing at the Daytona International Speedway. Tonight, in fact, the defending, defending Daytona 500 champion Austin Dillon will be joined by his brother and fellow Mazda. 
Energy NASCAR Cup Series driver Ty Dillon, who was also a previous guest on this program, for a question and answer session hosted by MRN at 7 p.m. So probably over now, but it was held at One Daytona, the premier mixed-use destination located across from Daytona National Speedway. Following that will be a two-hour country music concert by NBC's The Voice finalist, Cameron Beach resident Caleb Lee. That's probably still going on, so if you're interested and you're in the area, go ahead and head over and see if you can catch the end of the concert. For the 10th consecutive year, Daytona International Speedway will salute Medal of Honor recipients, a tradition instituted in the 1970s by Bill France Sr., the founder of Daytona International Speedway and NASCAR. Being recognized this year are Command Sergeant Major Gary Luttrell, Vietnam, Master Sergeant Leroy Petrie, War in Afghanistan, and Staff Sergeant Don Jenkins, Vietnam. The Medal of Honor, the highest military decoration given by the United States government, is the Stowed upon a member of the United States Armed Forces who distinguishes himself or herself conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity, trepidity, oh my gosh, at the risk of his or her life above and beyond the call of duty while engaged in an action against an enemy of the United States. More information on the recipients of the Medal of Honor may be found at www.cmohs.org slash recipient dash the U.S. Air Force will debut their Marvel marketing tour, The Hangar, at Daytona National Speedway during the Coke Zero Sugar 400 weekend. The Hangar highlights the contributions of the United States Air Force maintainers who would expect, maintain, and repair the most advanced aircraft in the world, and allows visitors to learn about the different maintainer career fields by a series of hands-on challenges such as repairing the avionics and natural cockpit, marshalling an F-5 out to the runway, a tire change challenge, and more. In addition, the United States Air Force drill team will perform at the Midway Display on Friday, tomorrow at 11 a.m., 1 p.m., and 3 p.m., and Sunday at 11 and 1 p.m. I really hate the word maintainer for that. I think they come up with something better, but you never know. Rutledge Wood, NASCAR NBC's feature reporter, We'll be joined by NBC analyst Dale Earnhardt Jr., two-time Daytona 500 champion, to host NASCAR America on Friday, on Friday, 6th at 7, on the UNOH Fan Zone main stage. The special fan-focused event will also be broadcast on NBC Sportsnet. Drivers scheduled to appear on the hour-long show are 2016 Daytona 500 champion Dang Hamlet, 2018 Daytona 500 champion Austin Dillon, Defending Coke Zero Sugar 400 champion Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And the second place finisher in this year's Daytona 500, Bubba Wallace. NBCSN will host NASCAR America Fan Friday events at select tracks throughout the 2018 season and chat with both current and past NASCAR drivers in a fun and casual format about the on-track action, news, and pop culture. Two F-5s from Naval Air Station Jacksonville will provide the flyover during the national anthem in advance of Friday night's Coca-Cola Firecracker 250, the NASCAR Xfinity Series event. Providing a flyover prior to Saturday night's Coke Zero Sugar 400 will be two F-22s from the 43rd Fighter Squadron out of Pinedale Air Force Base located in Panama City, Florida. All military members, active duty, reservist slash guard, veteran slash retiree, or military staff slash dependent and their families will have access to a pair of Midway Suite 
but in the facility where they can take a break from the busy day of activities at Daytona International Speedway to cool off and enjoy complimentary Coca-Cola products and snacks. The suites will be accessible from 3.30 p.m. through the end of Stage 1 of the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Throughout the day, a number of special guests will visit the suite and participate in question and answer sessions, including 2008 Daytona 500 champion Ryan Newman at 4.40 p.m., all members of the military and their families who have purchased a race ticket can access the Midway Suites by showing their military ID. To Platinum MCA, Nashville recording artist Josh Turner will entertain fans with a pre-race concert prior to the 60th annual Coke Zero Sugar 400. Turner is considered a disciple of traditional country music as well as the youngest members of the legendary Grand Old Opry. Turner's hits include Your Man, Why Don't We Just Dance, Firecracker, which i would you go with me, all over me, and time and love, the most played country, country song of 2012. Turner released his acclaimed sixth studio album, Deep South March, featuring the number one hit single, Hometown Girl. When the checker flag waves on the 60th Coke Zero Sugar 400, stage July 7, Daytona National Speedway will light up the sky above the 2.5-mile trioval with one of the largest fireworks shows in the southeast, a tradition that began with the inaugural nighttime running of the event Back in 1998, Fireworks by Santori, based in nearby Flagler County, will showcase the powerful 50-minute celebration that includes a one-minute, 30-second grand finale. A crew of 10 will work seven days along the shores of Lake Lloyd to set up the show, which will be fired from 15 locations using state-of-the-art digital firing equipment. Fireworks by Santori will utilize shells ranging in size from one inch up to eight inches, or the 10,000 pounds of explosives and enough control wire to circle the 2.5-mile trioval two times. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner, or maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport? Contact either myself or Adam Sinclair to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we would love to hear from you. Since the show was off the air last week, we uh, didn't get a chance to discuss a few different things that happened in the world of more sports. Uh, first off, this past weekend, it was really, really hot on all the places where racing took place. In Chicago, it was upwards of 100 degrees, the heat index. But inside, the car temperatures were 150 plus degrees. Personally, I think that's way too hot to be there, especially on Saturday when they had the Xfinity race in the, earlier in the day. It was just really, really hot. And the people... In the grandstand, I think there was probably more people in the grandstands for the Trans Am event that my father and I went to at Homestead, which had a, an announced attendance of 2,000 people, and that's even a little bit high. I think there were probably more people in Homestead for that event than there were in Chicagoland for the Xfinity race on Saturday. And I think it's really interesting to be racing in that sort of conditions. There are different things they can use to cool themselves off, such as cool suits and the air conditioning systems that they've developed for NASCAR, but it didn't seem like they were taking full advantage of that. And I think they were, it was just torture on the drivers. My question to you, Michael, is what's the, the hottest you've ever raced in in your car? Oh, gosh. I think at one point we raced, and I don't know how hot it was in the car, but I know outside it was, I want to say outside it was at least 103, if I remember correctly, mm. which made the track itself. I can't remember. My dad took the temperature of the track, and I can't remember, but it was pretty hot. Like, it was really hot, especially being, like, 
under your helmet and you've got your fire suit on and of course you've got your fire clothing under that. It was just it was miserable, but I mean what could you do about it? But yeah, I think the hottest I've ever raced in outside was like a hundred and three, a hundred and four. That's pretty hot. In your show of racing it wasn't it wasn't as if you were in the car for for three and a half or four hours though. So that's yeah, that's kind no. of a, an issue too. Yeah. Well I know like a couple like one time it was so hot because I mean it does get pretty hot around here, but one time we actually had a driver he wasn't from the class that we were in. I think he was from a sprint car class which you would think that they would get to breathe a little better because they're not so caged in, but mm-hmm. he actually got heat stroke, and they had to take him to the hospital because he got heat stroke in his car. So it happened. Yeah, and I think that the, especially in the uh, in the sports cars where they were racing in Watkins Glen, New York, in the sports car series, in the for the prototypes, there is no no opening whatsoever in those cars. And I think it was probably upwards of 160 in those cars. So that's just a little, a little insane too. But at least in the, and they should do, they should do something more with air conditioning for those because if they're, they are prototype cars. They're, they're based on, they're the future of, uh, of, uh, of passenger cars. So you think there's some sort of airflow going into it, not a real air conditioner blowing through. At least some sort of air, and, and it seemed like all they had was the with the cool suits, which is fine for a lot of people. It's better than what NASCAR had because NASCAR wasn't running the cool suits very hard, very much at all. But it still seems like they, there's, this is the 21st century. There's a lot more things they could do to get more comfortable with cars over long periods of time. And even though they say that the, that the, uh, they can heal them and all that with the, the injections, it's not good to take that front fluid into your, into your body, especially if you're doing it on a continual basis. And, uh, I think they definitely have to work on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and especially like you were just saying, I don't think it would kill them to, I don't know, like air conditioners, at least in like street cars, okay, you lose a little bit of power. But, I mean, I don't think it would kill them to try and figure something out. Because it seems like it's just getting warmer and warmer for a longer period of time. And, and that they have to look at too is the fact that if it's if the if the climate is going to get warmer, you can't have the races either. Either have to reduce the the length of time you have people in the cars, or you have to do something to cool the people off in the cars because eventually you're going to have somebody who gets into a really bad deal where they pass out in the cars. They're in going 150 miles an hour in a corner or something that wouldn't be very good. No, and especially you know something like that where they could have tried to prevent something like that and they didn't, I think that would make it even worse. Mm-hmm. Going on from that, I think that that's, that's at least a small part of the reason why John Force has had some issues this year because John Force is definitely not getting younger. He's a, he's in his sixties. I believe he's in his late sixties now. And, uh, and he's having some issues on the track pretty much every week where he's running into things, he's running into walls, he's doing cars, he's doing other things that aren't exactly the smartest ways of, uh, of operating a multi-million dollar racing team. And eventually it's going to catch up to him, just like it's catching up to some of the other drivers, and he's not going to be able to continue on in the sport. And the NHRA might have some serious issues if they lost one of their major marquee drivers. 
Yeah, well, and that's it's crazier with like them because if you think about it, you know they're, I mean they're in their car for a while, but they only race for like three seconds, maybe four. So, and you'd think that like going so fast that they would keep a little cooler, but then again, you also have, you know, the amount of horsepower that they're carrying. It's just it's a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, it's going to cause some people to to make some changes, and we. And we can hope that they make the change before something happens because it's it's never good when you lose a race driver or worse yet you hit somebody in the in the in the grandstands or one of the corner workers when something goes wrong in the car from you being too hot and suddenly passing out. That's that's just not a good thing. And that's something I fear that we might have to worry about if not this year then in the future. Yeah, well, and a lot of you know it's sad to say, but like a lot of things like they don't think of changes until something bad really happens, and then they're like, oh, well, what could we have done? I also want to bring up a little bit about the the ending of last week's race. It was really hot there in Chicagoland. It was an awesome event, and the, the end of the race there with uh, with uh, Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson on that last lap where they were beating each other back and forth, it was probably one of the best finishes in the history of NASCAR, and it was, it was pretty cool to see, and, and Kyle Larson happy with the fact that they they raced each other. If it wasn't clean, it was at least even. And Kyle Busch had an awesome, awesome time there. And the the end of the race was was pretty cool when he uh, he was doing that little uh, wah wah thing up to the to the people who were booing him. And uh, the fact that he said that if you didn't enjoy the best race, you probably shouldn't be a race fan. It's definitely something I agree with. And I think that the uh, the people in Chicago should should consider that when they go back to the race next year. Yeah, I didn't watch the race, but I did watch the end. I had to see what everybody was raving about, and it was it was really fun to watch. And honestly, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of becoming more of a Kyle Busch fan than I thought. Yeah, Kyle Busch is he's pretty cool, and he loves he loves the show. He loves to to he loves to win. That's the first thing. But if he if he can't reach the fans, that's he understands that's part of the sport. That's a big part of the sport. He's uh, he's really happy when he wins, and he's happy even if he doesn't win. And he sees somebody who supports him, he'll stop and he'll say hello, and he signs autographs and all sorts of things. So that's that's pretty awesome. He does that. Yeah, and not you know you can't please everybody. Not everybody's gonna like you, but at least treat the ones that do like you, you know, better than the ones that don't. Mhm. And I've been I've been privileged to see some of the some of the best ending the. The history of NASCAR. I remember in 1999 when uh, Terry Labonte and and Dale Earnhardt were battling for the end of the race in Bristol. That was that was pretty cool. It's also the same sort of ending, although Terry Labonte wasn't as happy, and it was one of those sort of things where where he wasn't trying to wreck him; he was just trying to rub him, and it was it was kind of funny. But you can also look at the fact that the uh, the ending of the Winston in the year when when Dale Earnhardt and Davy Allison were battling back and forth, and Davy Allison ended up taking the car into victory lane. The car couldn't roll anymore. It had two wheels that were seized, and the engine had blown up. And and he uh, he actually ended up going being, as soon as he got into victory lane, they took him to the hospital. He passed out. But that was a a pretty awesome ending as well. But I think that the if you take those three those three races and compare them, you'll see that the the drivers were putting on the show for the fans, who were racing each other even, and they were they were both happy. Everybody was happy in the end with the fact that the it was and they all had a good time. 
Now, there are some races in NASCAR where it seems like nobody's having fun. And if nobody's having fun, I think the people in the grandstands and definitely the people on television can tell that, and that's part of their issue as well. So they have to, they have to understand that the that racing is supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be a, a time for the drivers, a good time. And if they're not having fun, they just think that they're for a paycheck that, that's evident too. And uh, and NASCAR has to has to sort of balance the fact that the the drivers' safety and and the insurance deal with the fact that the drivers want to go out there and they want to bang doors and they want to end up having a, a great race. There's a fine line that a lot of times doesn't end up on the right side of that line. So it's kind of a... A difficult line to to cross, but one that they have to think about in the future. As we stated, we do have a, a great lineup of uh, of people in the next few weeks to come on the program. I believe next week we're going to be talking to the the head of the Blue Benny Helmet of Hope Foundation, uh, Mike Wells, who's been on the program before. We'll discuss a little bit about the Jimmy Johnson Foundation and a little bit about NASCAR and also a teeny bit about ice cream, although we got into the ice cream quite a bit this last last time we talked to him about a year ago. So that should be cool. Um, we've also got a few other drivers lined up for the future. Um, as we stated, we're always looking for more. So if you're interested in coming on the show, please give us a call. Actually, give us an email or a message on Facebook, and we'll get back to you. So should be a great summer, and we're hoping that we get lots of good people lined up. You can always use more, though. Sure, check out the past episodes of Thursday on the SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. In the past week, I've put out 20 different articles about motorsports. I need reading articles because I think I actually had a, a Cup Series article. But you can check all those out in newsdigest.com by clicking on Adam Sinclair as soon as it pops up. I've got a lot of week as well. Probably going to put out at least 10 articles in the next week. So you can be sure to check those out too. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which can be found by visiting palmbeach.havingmag.com. We do have a, a summer contest we're going to be announcing details of, I believe, tomorrow. Um, it's a basic Facebook contest, so check out on facebook.com slash palmbeachhappening. Uh, you'll find information about that. It'll be a contest where you can win, I believe it's it's tickets to uh, Daytona Lagoon, which we featured in the past, as well as tickets to a ghost tour in Delray Beach. I'm also working on a few different different projects for Palm Beach Happening. Um, done some awesome restaurant reviews, which you probably want to check out. And we've got other things coming up in the future as well. So be sure to visit palmbeach.happeningmag.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. 
Have a great night, and thanks again.